Let's get it. Wednesday, June 19th, 2019. Born the Battle. Brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone outside of podcast land had a great weekend. I did. I took my father-in-law. It was Father's Day weekend. I took him to a car show and a bourbon festival. I don't know what's better than uh, classic cars and a free bourbon tasting. Before we get into too much, I just want to give a little bit of feedback from last week's episode. Uh, thank you so much for all the feedback about episode 149, about those World War II veterans on the episode 149 blog of Born the Battle. I uh, got a lot of great feedback, got a lot of great comments. Um, those a lot of, share a lot of great memories. So if you haven't checked it out, check out the blog on episode 149 at blogs.va.gov. And thank you for all of your positive feedback. Let's get into it. We got a big episode. It is my first benefits breakdown. But first, we got a review. This review is from Joey Macaroni. Just started to listen. I haven't even started yet until now, but I'm just glad that we got a VA podcast. Well, Joey Macaroni, number one, great name. Number two, welcome to the club. And if you guys want to make a social media group, uh, if you guys do start it, let me know and I'll join in on some of the discussions. So with that, we are at 76. We are at 76% to our 100 uh, ratings and reviews. Once we get to that, I will release the bonus episode that uh, was, you guys got a snippet of it last week. So uh, it was with Mel Brooks and Adrian Cronauer of Good Morning Vietnam fame. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to the last episode. It's pretty good stuff. And if you want more of that, Go ahead and uh, leave a rating review. And once we get to 100, I will be uh, throwing out the bonus episode. A lot of news releases coming out last week. Man, a lot of news releases. Okay, let's get to the first one. Says, for immediate release, VA exceeds hiring goal of mental health providers by the thousands. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently surpassed its original goal to hire mental health providers by more than 1,000 through the Mental Health Hiring Initiative, which aims to which aims to achieve higher standards of access and quality care. Since 2017, VA has filled nearly 4,000 mental health positions nationwide, which provides nearly 120,000 more veterans access to high-quality mental health services each year, including those in underserved and rural regions of the country. Got a couple of uh, quotes there, and then it says, Some of the success can be attributed to VA hosting its first ever external virtual trainee hiring fair, where 74 mental health professionals completed training and accepted positions at VA facilities. The department is currently planning a second internal virtual trainee hiring event focused on connecting, matching, and retaining current VA psychology trainees and placing them into vacant positions at VA facilities. Staff are also empowered to develop facility-specific hiring and retention plans, which enable them to hire as vacancies opened. Many facilities use national hiring announcements, offering loan repayment and other incentives for attracting mental health professionals. To learn more about VA healthcare employment opportunities and hiring events, please visit www.vacareers.va.gov. I don't know uh, a more, I don't know of a more nobler mental health uh, profession that you can get into than rehabilitating some of our brothers and sisters. Number two says for immediate release, a new research affirms critical need for caregivers and veteran care. 
New research published in June 2019 edition of the Journal Health Affairs shows the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and the Elizabeth Dole Foundation are working collectively to better integrate caregivers into a veteran's health care treatment. The report, titled Including Family Caregivers in Seriously Ill Veteran Cares, a Mixed Method Study, was led by Duke University researchers and emphasizes caregiver inclusion identified in the VA Elizabeth Dole Foundation's campaign for inclusive care, which strengthens health care and is a model for improving care in the private sector. The Campaign for Inclusive Care is one of several initiatives and programs through which VA supports veterans caregivers. There's a, a quote or two, and then it says, The study supports using family caregivers for veteran care and provides recommendations to include a call to better define caregiver roles, support for caregiver inclusion in health teams, and streamlining legal and privacy regulations currently creating barriers to provider caregiver information sharing. The study also suggests healthcare teams, generally comprising of a physician, nurse, and a social worker, build strong relationships with caregivers by inviting their participation in care decisions and creating methods to assess their abilities and assist in their needs. Here's a couple more uh, quotes, uh, one or two findings. Uh, that supports what they're saying. And it says, learn more by visiting the Campaign for Inclusive Care website. For additional information, contact Dan Gregory for the Elizabeth Dole Foundation at dgregory, G-R-E-G-O-R-Y, at S-U-S-A-N-D-A-V-I-S, susandavis.com, or call 215-285-4137, or email the VA Office of Public Affairs at VA Public Affairs at va.gov that's v-a-p-u-b-l-i-c-a-f-f-a-i-r-s at va.gov all right i'm rolling through these because there's a lot of them this one is for immediate release va and white house launch veteran suicide prevention task force as part of the u.s department of veterans affairs and white house initiative to curb veteran suicide va secretary robert wilkie and director of the white house domestic policy council joe grogan will launch a cabinet-level task force June 17th to develop a national roadmap. The president's roadmap to empower veterans and end the national tragedy of suicide. Of course, there's an acronym, PREVENTS. Task force will include a community integration and collaboration proposal, a national research strategy, and an implementation strategy. Three phases. Efforts supporting the development of the roadmap are already well underway and are on target for the March 2020 delivery to the White House. Uh, a couple of quotes, and then it says, On March 5th, President Donald J. Trump signed an executive order titled National Roadmap to Empower Veterans and End Suicide. This executive order directed the Secretary of the VA and the Director of the White House Domestic Policy Council to co-chair and stand up an interagency task force to develop a plan implementing a roadmap for the prevention of veteran suicide at the national and community level. So right now, it's just the order to stand it up. As part of the effort to ensure the broadcast stakeholder input in the development of the national research strategy, the task force is releasing a request for information, an RFI, to gather feedback on how to improve research and the use of research to radically reduce veteran suicide. Here's the important part. Input may be provided at www.research.va.gov forward slash P-R-E-V-E-N-T-S. If you have an idea to help end veteran suicide, go to www.research.va.gov forward slash P-R-E-V-E-N-T-S. And of course, if you are a veteran who is in current crisis or having thoughts of suicide, or if you know a veteran in crisis, you can always call the Veterans Crisis Line 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1.
Or you could send a text message to 838255. Or you could chat online at veteranscrisisline.net forward slash chat. All right, got another one for you. A little bit of a lighter note. This one is for immediate release. VA's vet centers to host open houses to celebrate initiative's 40th anniversary. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs will host open houses during the month of June. And we just had one at the VA central office to commemorate the 40th anniversary of its vet centers, which provide readjustment counseling for eligible veterans, service members, and their families. Uh, quote or two from the secretary. And then it says the readjustment counseling program was established by Congress on June 13th, 1979 to support the significant number of Vietnam era veterans to include those with combat experience who are not accessing VA services at the same levels as Korean and World War II veterans. And it says the exact law. And then it says the role of this new program was to assist Vietnam veterans and their families in making the transition from traumatic wartime experiences to civilian life within their communities. Uh, moving on, it says today, confidential readjustment counseling services are provided at 300 vet centers, 80 mobile vet centers, numerous outstations and access points, as well as 24-7 support through its call center. Counselors and outreach staff, many of whom are veterans themselves, are ready to assist eligible veterans, active duty service members, including National Guard and Reserve components. See, not many people talk about that. And their families with a range of socioeconomic and psychological services. Individual, group, marriage, and family counseling are also offered. In addition to referral and connection to other VA or community benefits and services at no charge. Last fiscal year, nearly 300,000 unique veterans and active duty service members received vet center services. For a complete listing of Vet Center open houses, visit www.vetcenter.va.gov forward slash openhouses.asp. Okay, and this last one, I'm going to give a quick caveat. I am not in the business of, and a lot of times I don't share news releases like this one. I'm not in the business of being a self-licking ice cream cone. I, I don't like giving pats on the VA's back for doing the job that sh they should be doing. However, uh, this one is about an award, and I am going to read it because the things that Health IT got awards for, uh, it actually lists the program. So, without further ado, for immediate release, VA receives awards for innovation in health IT. For the second year, nine U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs programs were recognized for innovations in federal health technology during an award ceremony in Washington, D.C., and then there's a quote from uh, VA Secretary Robert Wolke. I'm going to list the nine programs that we got awards for because I think that's the meat potatoes of what you want to hear. The nine VA programs include Solar, which uses off-the-shelf software to convert complex language into user-friendly terminologies. This simplification represents a shift in how software developers consume terminology, enabling collaborative improvement in medical knowledge, patient care, and patient safety. This simplifies as helps with interoperability, a key challenge in healthcare. It's a Solar, S-O-L-O-R. I think it's an app. Uh, veteran Signals, v, or otherwise known as V-Signals, is a continuation of the award-winning Voice Veteran Experience Program and is an effort by VA to create an enterprise-level customer experience solution for the collection of veteran feedback used to improve the veteran experience. Uh, it's how uh, the VA collects information to actually implement new, um, new experiences in healthcare. Uh, the Benefits Integration Platform, otherwise known as BIP, of course, there's another acronym, is a modern, flexible, cloud-based IT platform that improves the way VA managers and provides veteran benefits, healthcare, and memorials. Light Electronic Action Framework, LEAF, is a simple solution for digitizing paper-based form. 
forms. Leaf empowers any VA user to streamline business activities, increase transparency, and enable real-time data and status tracking. The Enterprise Software Asset Management Program tracks and manages IT software assets throughout their lifecycle, enabling VA to reduce costs, identify trends, and improve software investment decision-making. The Digital Transformation Center improves VA's ability to support veterans through rapid incremental improvements to IT capabilities. An agile development approach enables a regular cycle of capability upgrades and enhanced functionalities by leveraging software as a service, platform as a service, and other emergent technologies. Vet360 is an authoritative source of veteran contact information. After verifying their identity, veterans can add or edit their contact, personal, and military service information via the new VA.gov website. Correct contact information is important for VA healthcare, of course, for prescriptions, appointment reminders, lab and test results, etc. Disability compensation, pension benefits, claims, and appeals. Up-to-date information is also critical for VA employees to provide personalized interactions and excellent customer service. VetTex is an interactive mobile solution to remind veterans of upcoming appointments through text message. The goal was to offer veterans an easy way to confirm or cancel appointments, kind of like you do in the civilian sector. VetText has reached over 6.15 million veterans, processed more than 1.76 million cancellations, and has helped decrease the overall national no-show rate by nearly 2%. The VA's Application Programming Interface Program, it's a programming program, okay, empowers our partners to build innovative veteran-centered solutions. In the last year, VA launched a developer portal and APIs for benefit submission and tracking, navigation to, and information on VA facilities. Electronic verification of veteran status on commerce, job and third-party benefit websites, and better access to and visibility of veterans' health information, ranging from allergies, diagnostic reports, and lab results to medications, procedures, and more. For more information about the awards, or if you don't understand any of the tech- technical jargon that I just spoke because I don't know, understand half of it either. Uh, but I think maybe you might. So that's why I'm putting it out there. For more information about the awards, please visit www.fedhealthit.com forward slash 2019 forward slash 05 forward slash F-E-D-H-E-A-L-T-H-I-T dash 2019 dash innovation dash award dash winners dash announced forward slash all right that is all of the news releases i hope especially with that last one uh you got some information uh out there that you might not have known before so with all that being said we are at episode 150 of born the battle first of all Thank you to the listeners that have allowed us to make 150 episodes of Born the Battle, for, formerly known as This Week at VA. I'm sure the previous host is also thankful for that as well. We enjoy getting information out on this medium, and we also enjoy bringing you stories of those that have borne the battle and sacrificed in many different ways for our great nation. This is going to be my first benefits breakdown. I think 150 is a good episode to do that. Um, going through, I mean, po- in podcasting in general, I haven't seen an episode on the VA home loan program. I saw one 10 minute episode out there in podcast land that gave a brief overview, but didn't really get down into the nitty gritty and, and break it down. So, in conjunction with the 75th anniversary of the signing of the Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944, which had the GI Bill and the Home Loan Guarantee Program wrapped up in it, just learned that on this episode, we're going to be going over the Home Loan Guarantee Program step by step. 
And two veterans, Army veteran Maxine Henry and Air Force veteran Mark Connors, who both work at VA's Loan Guarantee Service, are going to help us break this down. From the time that you are even thinking about buying a home till you had the keys and you're getting some uh, junk mail in relation to your home. So, without further ado, I bring to you my very first benefits breakdown. Enjoy. As I understand it, each of you here, each of you here work in the loan guarantee service, and you guys are both veterans, correct? That's correct. My name is Mark. Um, I'm the the lender liaison. I retired from the the Air Force um, more years ago than I would like to um, admit, and I've been with the VA since 2006. Started in the Houston Regional Loan Center, and in 2011. Uh, moved to central office, started working in the policy shop. Gotcha. And what did you, you do in the um, in the military? Um, several different things. First, I, I spent half my time enlisted um, working on our reconnaissance aircraft, uh, the U-2 and the SR-71. And Roger. Um, actually spent the, the last half as commissioned officer, but mainly, um, although I was in the Air Force, I was attached to Army units the majority of that time. Okay, understood, great. And Maxine? Sure, started in 2009 with the VA at the Atlanta Regional Loan Center, started in the education department, then went over to loan guarantee. I came to central office in 2012, on the quality assurance team, and now I'm on the loan policy team since 2013. Roger, and you're a veteran, what did you do in the military? As an Army veteran, started out as a 91 Delta operating room um, specialist. Then I discovered that this is not for me. Sure. So then I um, re got retrained and became a 71 Lima administrative specialist, spent most of my time in human resources. Roger. So it's great having veterans in, in the, is it, it's the loan guarantee service that, why is it LGY, but it's loan to guarantee service? Anybody know? Just the acronym they came up with. Gotcha. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Military logic. So this is the 75th anniversary of the home loan guarantee program. Um, how did it start and why? Well, um, very good question, and it's the uh, 75th anniversary of the Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944, okay. commonly known as the, the GI Bill. And of course, the home loan program is one part of the GI Bill. Oh, so that was all rolled up in one, in one act. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Great. And so that we've, we've I think, pretty much the, the majority of, of veterans, at least, are familiar with the education benefits that were associated with the GI Bill. But sure. the home loan program was also. Um, and, you know, you asked why it happened. You know, we had, I don't know, some 16 million service members returning from you know, from wartime. World War II, yeah. We, we definitely, as a nation, uh, knew that we, we had a huge demand for housing. So in part, it was to help get folks in the, the housing trade. But along with that, it was to facilitate uh, returning service members get into to homes. And, 
you know, a lot of these folks had been away for years. They were not able to establish during the time that they were deployed traditional credit, if you will. So it would have been sure. difficult for them to obtain financing when they have not been able to show their their, their credit history over the past, um, you know, however many years. Why is it important to get uh, veterans into homes? To me, to me, that that comes down to a big part of the American dream, right? right. We, we, the American dream has not, not left us. I, I believe that as a nation, we felt an, a tremendous obligation to these returning service members. And I, I think that played a large role. Roger. What are some of the eligibility requirements for the home loan process? You hear a lot of myths, you know, you gotta have uh, honorable service or you gotta be, you got to have this many years of service. What are some of the eligibility requirements to um, to qualify for the home loan program? The two requirements are length of service and character of discharge. Okay. Now, depends on when you serve. There are you know different length of service requirements, but overall, um, ninety days in most in some instances with character of discharge, honorable general under honorable conditions and specifically if you serve in the oh so not just honorable you can be you can have an oth or or a general discharge oh we encourage everyone to submit an application gotcha gotcha and if one has an oth it's possible they may have some honorable service sure so we certainly encourage everyone to submit an application so we can process it and make a determination and i was going to also add about the reserves national guard um that time of service definitely requires honorable discharge okay very cool very well so my first experience with the home loan program was in charlotte and uh all i remember was it was a lot of paperwork it was just sign sign here sign here sign here um but i do remember the uh certificate of eligibility um for the listeners, what, what what's the first thing you got to do when it comes to that? So the Certificate of Eligibility, COE for short, of course, we got to have an acronym, right? Absolutely. It is the only document that tells the lender that you, one is eligible for the VA home loan program. Unfortunately, not everyone that puts on the uniform ends up being eligible for the program. Okay. So it's the only document that the lender will, will know that... Um, a veteran is eligible for the program. That that veteran's legit. Eligible. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. We have fun. So, okay, so it basically lets the lender know that, hey, this person can qualify for the home loan program. Right. Based on their military right. service, they have earned this benefit. And then the lender will take it from there as far as um, qualifying for the loan. So that's a different step. That's a different process. So the certificate of eligibility can be easily obtained through ebenefits.va.gov. Whatever time you wake up in the middle of the night and you just decide, oh, it's 2 a.m., let me go get my COE, it's available for you at ebenefits.va.gov. So that's the that's the website you need to go through the application process. There are other ways. Um, either a lender can obtain the COE for you. Oh, okay. So the lender has access to VA system. Um, WebLGY is a system of record, and the lender can obtain the COE. Of course, you'll fill out 
you know, the required paperwork, giving the lender authorization to get the COE. Sign, sign here, sign here. Absolutely. Gotcha. So, yeah, see, I don't remember going and going to get obtaining. I think my, on my, on my case, me and my lender went and got it for me. So that's, 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 that's cool to know. Um, what are some advantages to, uh, to the, to a VA home loan versus like a traditional home loan? One is that it's a benefit that you earn based on the service to a nation. Okay. Generally, no down payment is required. Now that is huge because it could take quite some time for someone to save up for a down payment, right? Yeah, everyone talks about having a, a down payment that's like twenty percent or ten percent. You know, if it depends on what father-in-law you talk to. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it varies. The down payment may vary depends on the loan program, but yeah. the VA I said home father-in-law. Program, like I have two father-in-laws. I didn't, but I'm just go ahead. Sorry. Also, there's no mortgage insurance. So you may have heard of private mortgage insurance or mortgage insurance premium with other non-VA loan programs. Okay. Not so with the VA loan. Okay. There is what's called a VA funding fee. And um, that will vary from 2.15% if you're using the program for the first time to 3.3% if you've used a program multiple times. But that's also waiverable too, right? It is it waiverable. If you are receiving service-connected disability compensation, then the VA funding fee is waived. You do not pay that. Very well, very good, very good. Another great benefit is that the interest rate is negotiable between the veteran purchaser and the lender. The VA does not set interest rates. And Say that again. The VA does not set the interest rate. Really? So the veteran purchaser and the lender, they negotiate and determine what your interest rate will be. Huh. That's interesting because my lender said that it was set by the VA. Or maybe it was what they probably meant was, well, this is our set rate based on a VA home loan. And, and I can almost promise you that that is exactly the the case, um, that the uh, the loan officer that you were, were speaking with uh -huh. said, this is the VA rate. And uh, they neglected to say that that is their internal VA rate. Noted. Noted, noted. Several years ago, and I, I don't know the exact year, there was one rate for VA home loans that was established and it was set nationally. So it didn't matter whether you went into bank A, bank C, bank Z, you were and you got a VA loan, that rate was going to be the same. But that is no longer the case. And that's why we say now the VA rate is a negotiable rate. That's that's good to know for my next uh, VA, VA home loan. Um, what are some other good things to, to, to do before you look at uh, putting in your first offer, before you look at even getting a realtor, a real estate professional? Like, what are, what are some of the things that you need to get? What ducks do you need in, what, in the road that you need to have ready for to start buying a home? You know, I'm often asked, you know, how far in advance should I start the home buying process? Sure. And, and what do I need to do? And my answer um, sometimes surprises folks. Um, I honestly believe that it begins several years before you even think about purchasing a home. And what I'm talking about is obtaining and then maintaining excellent credit. 
Remember earlier we mentioned that one of the benefits of the program was that the interest rates were negotiable? Yeah. Well, guess what is going to be your biggest chip when it comes to negotiating that interest rate? It, it's credit. Yeah. And not only are you going to have the ability to save money on your mortgage interest, Yeah. You're going to be able to save money on auto loans. You're going to be able to get the best rates when it comes to homeowners insurance. The uh, long ago, the the insurance industry recognized that there was a strong direct correlation between somebody's credit um, and their claims, i.e., putting in claims on insurance. So as a result, the better your credit. The, you're, you're going to be uh, afforded the best rates that not only the mortgage company has for you, but also the auto industry as far as your insurance goes sure. um, and, and your, your homeowner insurance. Um, but then I think to me, the second would be education. You know, we as a, as a country... We'll, we'll spend an inordinate amount of time, some weeks in some cases, planning our next vacation, right? Um, we'll, we'll spend uh, many hours researching the next large screen TV that we're gonna we're gonna buy. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the, the, I want the AK. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and we'll we'll actually take the time to to go into the uh, brick and mortar stores and. And check check and, out everything about it, and then uh, get back home, go online, and, and order it online. But the the point is, the point is, is that we spend a lot of time on comparatively an investment that is much less by magnitudes sure. of the home, and for some reason, uh, we we don't believe that. It's I don't necessary to do it. Maybe maybe we're we're scared of the process. We're scared of the unknown. But I'll tell you there there is just a ton a ton of information, and I know later on um, we'll we'll talk about it. But a ton of online online resources, and it's to our detriment, I believe, well, that we we don't spend the ample time studying and educating ourselves. Well, hopefully we're adding to it. That's why we're doing this podcast. Absolutely. (laughs) Purchasing a home may be the largest transaction that one may be involved in. Sure, sure. And it requires attention to details. And there are a lot of dates and just a lot of information to pay attention to. Shopping for a lender. Nope, we already, we already, we, you just already addressed that, Mark. So never mind. I'll just move not, on. Not, not enough. No, not enough. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. I, I was talking about educating. You know sure. what we could do prior to starting the home buying process. You can go way deeper into it if you need, if you if you need to if you feel like we need to. And, uh, all, all, I'm all about it. Uh, comparing banks uh, or credit unions or mortgage companies. Um, what are what are some other things that you need to know to make yourself competitive? Well. The analogy that I like to use that that we're most familiar with is uh, probably all of us have 
uh, have experience with purchasing an automobile, right? Sure, whether sure. whether it's uh, a new car or a used car. And I doubt that there's anybody listening to this that when they went through that process and they went in and they saw what the dealer was asking as far as price, I doubt that anybody just said, oh, that, that seems fair to me. You know, uh, let me arrange financing with your company. I'm, I'm going to pay you what you're, you're asking. No, it, it's in our, our DNA, if you will, that we're going to negotiate with that salesperson on two fronts. One, on the price. But then, two, we're going to try to figure out who has the best financing, whether that is the car dealership or your bank. I go to my bank. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But for some reason, I think a lot of us don't believe that that is an opportunity to negotiate when when we're purchasing a home. And it absolutely is. And go ahead. Yeah. See, I didn't I didn't think so even even five minutes ago. Right. Yeah. And, and just like what you would tell the salesperson in the auto at the auto dealership, um, you know, you would try to get them down to the, the best price that you, you could. Absolutely. And then you say, you know, I hope that we'll be able to do business with you. But you know what? I'm, I'm going down and I'm going to be talking to a couple other dealers down the road. And that is exactly, exactly what we ought to be doing when it comes to shopping for a lender. You do not know whether or not you are getting a good deal unless you have something to compare it to, yeah. right? If I go to bank A and bank A quotes me a certain interest rate and certain closing fees, I have no idea whether I'm getting a good deal. Well, if I talk to a second lender, well, I'm, I'm improving that right now. I know, whoa, this is way off. This, this, this second lender is either giving me something way better or perhaps not nearly as good as the first. And guess what? If I go talk to a third lender, I'm going to narrow that down even more. Yeah. And Again, I'm going to go back to one of my favorites. That's credit. The better your credit is, the more likely that that lender is going to want to engage you in negotiating. What's a good target for credit? What's a, what's a good baseline or range for credit? Well, that, that, that's a very good question. Um, the Generally speaking, in the mortgage industry, 740 um, uh, FICO score would be considered excellent credit. Noted. Um, one of the things, one of the concerns that, and, and by the way, it um, depending on, there, there are so many, so many credit uh, reporting models out there, but they generally go up to, to 850. Gotcha. So pay your bills, basically, is what we're saying. You on bet. Time. And, and <laughs> on time. On time. And it's not an easy, it's, you know, obtaining excellent credit is, is not an easy bar. It takes you time, necessarily takes you time. And the reason for that is that the length of your credit history yeah. is one factor that is weighted very high when it comes to determining your score. And you can lose that excellent credit very easily by just neglecting your financial obligations. And that gets reported to the credit bureaus. I, I'll tell you a quick story how I lost mine real quick. When I was uh, probably about 21 years old, 
Um, you don't need to say anymore. That no, yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> no, it was, uh, <laughs> I bought a computer on my way to Iraq and I paid it off. I was like, oh, I paid it off, you know, no problem. Do all a bunch of money when I got back home from Iraq. And then I got a $30 bill from the interest, just the interest from the previous. And I was so mad about that $30 that I didn't pay that for like six months, eight months. And I can tell you, I paid for that for like years, you know? Yes. Uh, so, so yeah, pay your bills and pay them on time. Um, all right, Maxine. Sure. Uh, I, I, a little bit of email, previous emails that we got back and forth, uh, said that you were a, a realtor or a real estate professional. Okay. For, first of all, what's the difference between those two, those two terms? So a real estate professional, um, a realtor, you are part of the association. Okay. It could be a local association or the National Association of Realtors. Okay. And so you're part of this larger organization that represents the interest of the industry. Whereas mm -hmm. a real estate professional may not be a, a part of the organization and pay the required fees. Okay. So, but they're still qualified to. But you still got to get your license. Everyone got to get their license. And, got you. Yeah. Got you. Um, what's the best way? to pick a real estate professional or realtor and how can you as a home buyer utilize your real estate professional your representative in the best way possible so oftentimes we have relationships with um, family members friends and they refer um professionals that they've used in the past. So a lot of times it's by word of mouth um, that one comes in contact with their real estate um, professional. Sure. You may know someone is of, who's been in the business for years, you know, someone in the family say, hey, remember that this person is a real estate agent. And real estate agents also, um, you know, they market themselves. They have their own websites. You may get something in the mail. They may send you a recipe and it has their picture, contact information on there. Yeah. And also, um, just by their their performance, you know, they may be ranked how well they're doing, but oftentimes it's by relationships. Someone who knows that person or have had an experience and they pass that person's name along as a referral. Other ways you can um, get information on a real estate professional, again, through the local real estate boards or through the National Association of Realtors. And you can just go online and, you know, just type in that you're looking for a real estate agent in a particular area. What are some good websites to do your research on when it comes to researching a, a to make sure that they're uh, good to go real estate professional? Well, they, each each state has, um, has its real estate commission. Okay. So they have to be licensed. Gotcha. And if they're not, then they're certainly not, not gonna- Not qualified. Correct. Got you, okay. Is there, like a, is there like a popular rating system website out there that somebody can go to though? Like a, like a I don't know, um, rate my teacher is for college professors. Realtor.com, that's okay. one place. And you'll also find listings okay. about, you know, homes that are maybe on the market for sale. Um, but if you just just go to Google and type in. <laughs> Got you. Okay. Realtors in my area. Got and you. then I would also like to add interview um, similar like 
talking to different lenders, yeah. talk to different real estate professionals as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, get some information about their experience and their background. How well do they know the area in which you're, you're, you're looking at? And also, um, you know, you can also ask them for some references. Tell me about past clients and you can, you know, have a chat with that person and determine how well this person will be able to look out for my interest. Gotcha. Or just, you know, I always go to the, you know, my, my personal experience with what was, uh, you know, what was in it for me. And uh, the Charlotte market was hopping at the time. And I asked for points. I wanted a point off your commission. And I got it. So uh, what, what that means is it was a basically a 1%. I got back from the sale of the home back in, in closing. So yeah, no, very good. And <laughs> so you use your negotiation skills, is what exactly, I'm hearing. Exactly, exactly. So and you know, one of the experience that I had uh, when I purchased uh, my home a few years ago, which was um, I found exceedingly beneficial, was the knowledge that my real estate professional brought to the table. It wasn't about, you know, here's the most expensive home. I want you to buy this home because I'm going to make a big commission on that. Completely the opposite. In fact, I was talked out of some of the homes that were interesting me because she was able to explain the pros and cons of a particular area, particular geographical, you know, micro, uh, micro region versus versus other regions, and um, I, I was very, very impressed by that. Gotcha. That okay. So we got our real estate professional. We we've shopped lenders. Um, we're looking at houses, and we've decided to put in an offer. Um, now. Again, with my experience in Charlotte, um, it was a it was a very hot market. Uh, sometimes people were buying cash down sight unseen, so it was really hard for me to put an offer in. Um, and they had this thing called earnest money, and I had to put down some earnest money. Now, from what I understand, uh, and that was basically just to hold it, hold it, get it off the market, just so we could start the negotiation process. Um, from what I understand, not every market is like that. You don't need to put in earnest money on some some markets. Sometimes some places you do. Uh, I hear these words contingencies and concessions. Uh, what what is everything? What is everything going into putting in an offer? So um, earnest money is not required. Yeah, but it states that you are ready, willing, and able buyer. That hey, I'm really interested in this property. So um, that's where the earnest money comes in, but it's not required. It's just um, it's stating. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's like holding, holding down the spot. Like this is my spot. So I'm ready to market. Pretty much, yeah, right? Okay. So gotcha. this is you. The earnest money goes along with your with your offer, and you can determine how much you want to put down as as an earnest money, and it can either come back to you or it can go towards closing. Closing. Yeah. Right. Or, so, or the or the person selling can say, "I got a better offer. Here's your money back." You know, or they could just turn down your offer. <laughs> they could. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was turned down probably like three times before I even got my first house, just based on you know I even threw earnest money at it, and it was just, it was it was incredible, incredible market at the time. So at that time, did you happen to have a pre-approval letter? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I had a I had a bank pre-approval level. I had a bank pre-approval letter. Let Letter. Letter. Thank you. Um, and uh, and I had earnest money down and it was still getting because people were coming with cash. You know, sometimes you just can't compete with cash when they say, hey, we're going to buy a house on cash. 
Right. No, so, no doubt yeah. about it. <laughs> so it depends so, on the market. Got you. Got you. And um, so as far as the earnest money, the offer. So the offer also depends on what you're asking for. Yeah. Um, and so the seller will is going to compare all the offers that they've received and determine, well, which one am I going to go with? So what are some things that you can you can put in the offer? Obviously, the price. Um, is there something else? You know, earnest money. The, uh, the price um, repairs. You may be asking the seller to make certain repairs. Another person may not be asking the seller to make any repairs. So yeah. those are some of the um, things that are taken into consideration. Um, when are you ready to close? Uh, if you are already pre-approved by a lender, yeah. then certainly the seller will know that this person has been through the process and they have been determined to be credit worthy yeah. by the lender. And so they're, you know, they're, there'll be, the, the train, haven't gone the through train, the underwriting process yet. But the trains already started moving down the block exactly. with, the, with, the, with the lender. Exactly. Got you. And I, contingencies, um, those can be kind of unique because you are maybe communicating to the seller that, I need this to happen before I will do the next thing. So then that's like repairs, right? Right. Gotcha. And the seller may, you know, they, they're going to take that into consideration and determine which offer they'll accept. And then the one that they accept, then that's the one that becomes the contract. And this can go back and forth as a buyer. You may, um, you may counter, um, and this can go back and forth until a times. Yeah. Right. Until, you have the meeting of the minds, yeah, and then then there's a contract, right? Understood. So, um, I I negotiated for repairs in my in my in my first home buy. Um, I did it after the initial inspection. So they they said that hey, this need to be repaired. This need repairs. So I asked for repairs before I even I even put the final offer down. I said hey, take back this money and and that's the offer, you know. Uh, or or have cash down. And, and when you mentioned um, inspection, are you differentiating between an inspection and the VA appraisal? Yes, I did. A, I did a personal inspection. Um, yeah. See, I know what the difference is, but some people don't. Don't. I've, I've, I've realized some people say, "Hey, the you know the myth is you know you, you need an inspection." What I, what I, what, but people know that what they need is the appraisal. So can you kind of let me know what the difference is, or not just me, but our, our listeners? No, absolutely. Um, first, let, let's talk about the primary function of the appraiser and the appraisal when it comes to non-VA property. Okay. The primary purpose, the primary function of that appraiser is to determine the value for the lending institution. In other words, the lender doesn't want to loan $300,000 when the value is only $275,000. Sure. So that's a primary function with, with non-VA. Well, with a VA appraisal, uh, there are, are two primary functions. One, certainly to determine the value of the property. But two, and this is, this is to me, another one of the benefits of the VA home loan program is that the all VA appraisals are uh, done by appraisers that are on what is called the VA fee panel appraisal. Um, and okay. they are rotationally selected. So a lender 
does not have the ability to say, I want Bob to do this appraisal because Bob always gives me the, the price that I, I want to get. They don't have that option. It, they are rotationally selected. And so <laughs> sounds like there could be some favoritism there. <laughs> well, and, and this, this and the way yeah. that the VA runs the panel, it ab absolutely eliminates keeps that. everything at an arm's length transaction and eliminates it. And so in addition to value, yeah. The VA appraiser is inspecting the the home to ensure that the home is um, structurally uh, sound and safe, um, sanitary. And they, they do this by establishing um, minimum property requirements or MPRs. And there are a, a, a a lot of, of MPRs. Uh, for example, they want to make sure that the um, HVAC system, the air conditioning heating system is operational. Uh, they want to make sure that they have a good water supply. They want to, they'll make sure that there are, there's not exposed wiring. Um, if there is, you know, peeling paint, they're going to note that. And so it is a it's a protection to to the veteran and which is why I referred to it as a another benefit. Making sure it's not a bad investment. That's right. We yeah. it, and it's a fiduciary responsibility, we believe, uh, to the veteran. So say there's an offer at three hundred thousand and the VA appraiser says it's two hundred and seventy five. Let's let's go with that same example. Uh, will the VA guarantee only go up to two seventy five and then if the VA, if the veteran still wants to buy it, they can fork over the other twenty five k. Yes, you you could look at it that way. So the, but that, the not, that's that's not the best practice. Let's let's be honest, that wouldn't be the best practice. But you can still do that. But I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend it. Right, and the veteran is necessarily going to have to bring cash to the table for the difference between the appraised value Boom. and the sales price. Exactly. Okay, but like I said, I would I wouldn't recommend it, but. Um, Definitely, definitely, you can do that, but it's just not a very good sound investment, in my opinion. I agree. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. What are some other things to consider uh, personally during this phase? Uh, obviously, keep up with the paperwork. Um, but what are some other things like during the closing process should you do or should you not do during the pro during this process? So just before you get to the closing process, yeah. Um, your loan, the loan will go through an underwriting process. So the underwriter makes a decision. And once the loan comes from the underwriter, it most likely will have some conditions. And so the um, processor will communicate, will reach out to you. Um, it's important to respond to get those <laughs> conditions um satisfied in order to move on to eventually get to the the goal of having your keys right right, right it's, exactly. it's important to respond to those conditions and, that, um, and that's like is that where they ask for you all your bank statements and all that other stuff and these these are the conditions i need to do the underwriting is that pretty much what, what we're talking yes. about yes okay and cool. you may say well i've already provided those bank statements but it could have been for another guy Months ago, yeah. depends on how long you've been in the home buying process. So they may ask for those bank statements again. They may ask for letters of explanation based on something that they may have seen on the credit. 
um, I see that you may have been shopping. Did you get a loan at another lender? Do you have another loan being processed someplace? They may ask for that to be explained. If you, eventually you want to get the home, it's important that you respond and um, provide the information that the underwriter is asking for so that they can ultimately make the decision. And gotcha. one of the, the don'ts, um, and I'm sure that the, the, the lenders will, will uh, you know, say this enough to you so that it, 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 get, it sinks in, is that you should absolutely not incur any additional debt between the time that you submit your application and your financials to the, the lender and, and closing. You don't need anything that bad. And all, all <laughs> I'm gonna you- get a boat. Right, right. <laughs> that new Harley looks nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that could affect your debt to income ratio. Okay, and that's, a, yeah, that's one thing they look at, right? right. And yeah. so if you go out and make this large purchase and now it knocks your debt to income ratio out the range, then guess what? This home buying experience may come to an, an abrupt end. Uh, and, you know, I think an important point to bring out here is a fundamental of how the, the program works. And, and that is that the VA on a VA loan, the VA is not the entity loaning the money. Yeah. It's actually the lender that is loaning the money. And as a result, the lender is the one who has the final determination as to whether or not that loan is going to be approved or denied. So in the case where the loan is approved, you're, you're, you're good to go, don't have anything to worry about. If the lender comes back to you and after you've been dealing with a lender for some length of time, you've uh, put a lot of energy, a lot of time into it. They have asked a lot of bank statements. Exactly. <laughs> um, and if they come back and they tell you that the uh, they're not able to approve the loan, then your only option is to find a lender that is willing to approve the loan. And while VA has minimum underwriting standards and, and criteria, because it's the lender's money, they are free to impose underwriting criteria that is more stringent than, than VAs. But the point here is that just because one particular lender does not approve the loan, it doesn't mean at all that you can't find a lender that is willing to approve the loan. Sometimes you got to find that quick. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. That's tough. Um, so, we're now in a closing. Walk me through that process. You know, I, I, I was there. I was there. I, I, I signed all the paperwork again. I signed all the paperwork. I don't really remember, no, remember what it was all about. All I remember was, is that one, that one point from the realtor wasn't there after they explained all the, the accounting. I asked, well, where's the 1%? Where's, where's the 1%? And they had to scramble. And cut me a check after, you know, a, a couple hours later. But um, I don't remember. That's all I remember from the, the closing process. Um, so if you can walk me through what were the, all what was all the accounting stuff and all the underwriting stuff that I signed my life away to? Because I don't really remember it. So at the closing, um, which can be either done at an attorney's office and conducted by an attorney or a title office. Yeah. There are a lot of documents to sign. Yeah. One of those documents um, that you get is the closing disclosure. In times past, it used to be the HUD one, 
but now it's the closing disclosure. And it's going to itemize, it, um, it would provide the purchase price, you know, the amount that you and the seller agreed on. And then it's going to itemize all the fees that gets paid to the different parties that are involved in the transaction, including the real estate agent, what their commission is being paid. Um, the seller, the, the buyer. The seller, the buyer. The, all those fees, the, the insurance, title, the, the title agency, the title company, yeah. your insurance policy, um, how much that costs, the, and that's generally paid annually. Um, any interest that's paid depending on the day of the month that you close, um, any prepaid interest, it's going to give you all that information. How much of that is negotiable? All those different fees. Are they all negotiable? Some negotiable? What are some things that you should look at that you could negotiate? Your Help interest rate up front, that you can negotiate with with the lender. Sure. Um, but some of those other fees, most times they are customary and reasonable. Okay. And they're kind of market price. But hey, it doesn't hurt to ask. Right. right no, ab absolutely. And, you know, an another point, we kind of touched on it early on, but um, there are some some fees that you would typically see in a in a closing yeah. uh, that the VA deems unallowable. OK. And so generally speaking, the closing costs that you would incur with a VA loan are going to be less than the closing costs that you would find um, with a, a non-VA non product. Give me one or two of those things that you might see that would be unallowable in a VA home loan. Um, there's a, a typical fee that would be called a, a settlement fee. Well, that would be a fee that is, uh, is considered an unallowable fee. Okay. And the uh, closing documents have various names, various acronyms. Um, and it's kind of like if you recall back with your, your cell phone bills, they've gotten better. But you would have these line items on there and you're like, <laughs> what the heck is this? Well, the same thing to an extent takes place when you're closing on, on a home. Absolutely. And and so VA protects okay. veterans in, in that way. Now, is it something that I, that I would have to go and re research and find these things myself? Or is it something that the VA has already looked at the closing documents and it says, hey, take that out before I even see it? It, 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 or is it something that I got to research myself? So, good question. The, the, the majority of the lenders that are um, what we, re, we would refer to as um, high volume VA lenders or, or lenders that you know, do a fair amount of VA work, they're very, very familiar with um, the allowable fees and the fees that are not allowable. Um, and from the uh, fiduciary perspective, uh, one of the our main goals in in loan guarantee service is that we help ensure that the lenders are compliant with uh, the laws, rules, regulations, guidelines 
um, of VA. So we, we will audit um, a percentage of the files. And when we see that a particular unallowable fee was charged, then we contact that lender. Then that happens during the audit process yeah. and request the, the refund. But I have to say that the um, by far, the lenders that are familiar with VA loans, they know how the program works. They And they are not not charging unallowable fees or fees that they should not be be charging. Roger. And to add those documents, the closing documents, no VA does not review those documents before closing. Um, yeah, if the audit. loan is selected to be reviewed and this is post-closing, then we you know we conduct a, a review. But before closing, you know, that's why the the lenders are they're supervised and approved and so they don't have to submit anything to us in most instances before they close the loan gotcha so they just might be audited afterwards is what is what i'm hearing so is be. there is there a place that um say i want to go do my own audit because i want to i want to do my own uh my own research and my own auditing and make sure i'm i'm, I'm, t I'm getting to take care of myself um is there a place i can go to find these unallowable uh fees well, the, the Code of Federal Regulations has, it, it details out the allowable fees. And so by definition, if a fee isn't listed, it's it is unallowable. Understood. Right. Understood. Okay. Um, so as I said, I'm, I'm, I bought a house two years ago in Charlotte. I'm now in DC. I'm renting it now. Um, I just found out recently that I can actually go get another VA home loan. A lot of things that you hear sometimes is that you can only get one. That's not true, right? Like you can actually go get another home loan, but there's some there's some rules about that. So if you can let me know what some of those rules are. There, right. there are rules and <laughs> sometimes the rules can get pretty complex. But okay. um, let me start off by saying that um, and we probably I'm probably reiterating this, but you're fine. That, that's the benefit that doesn't expire and you could use it multiple times. But the congressional intent of the program was not to turn veterans into, you know, real estate mobile. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I just got another job offer. That's the only reason I moved, you know. Right. No, uh, un understand. Yeah, yeah. Understand. And it. I don't want to get it too, too complicated. And I know that we're going to be sharing the contact information for the regional loan center so that if any of the listeners have any questions on anything that we've discussed um, today, we're going to be able to direct them to where they can get those questions answered. Gotcha. But it, it all has to do with what is referred to as entitlement. And so, for example, and, and a veteran has a certain amount of entitlement. And if they purchase a home and use 100% of their available entitlement. That's it. Then, right, they, they would not be able to purchase another home until that initial loan was paid in full. Then they can get their entitlement restored and start all over again. However, you could also have a situation where when you initially use that VA loan, let, let's say, for example, that you, you purchase a moderately priced home in, in Texas while you're, you're stationed there. 
And um, whether you PCS or you get out of the your you know PCS or ETS and you move say to Washington State, yeah, you may very well have sufficient entitlement that would allow you to one turn that initial property into Texas into investment income, i.e. rent it out, and still have sufficient entitlement to purchase a new home that you're going to occupy um, in, in Washington state. So again, it, it can get kind of complicated on, on doing the math, and that's why we encourage folks to reach out to the regional loan center with any specific questions. So it's almost have. based on an uh, area that you're currently living in based is your entitlement can be based, can be differentiated based on zip code almost. Well, it depends. Um, everyone gets the same amount of entitlement. It depends on the purchase price of yeah. the property, which determine if you have any of your benefit remaining. San Francisco versus Texas, middle of Texas. Perfect. Got right. you. Got you. Got you. Um, we have finished closing. Now you have your keys. You get your keys. You finally get the, you finally sign and you get your keys for the first time and you walk in the house. And the first thing I saw that uh, my lender was uh, gracious enough to give me was a big book of maintenance. Uh, you know, not requirements, but uh, suggestions. Hey, in the wintertime, make sure you're doing this. In the summertime, make sure you're doing this. Uh, what are some things that you as a new home buyer should be uh, cognizant of? when you get the keys to your house? As a new home buyer, um, now you get to take on the maintenance responsibilities of owning a home. <laughs> Prior to that, you may have been living, um, you know, mom and dad, or you may have been renting. And yeah. so you just pick up the phone and you call, say, hey, this is not working. And someone comes and fixes it. Now the only person to call is yourself, right? <laughs> Lowe's. I call Lowe's a lot. <laughs> well, I'm sure somewhere there you're you're making payments at Lowe's oh, along yeah. the way. Oh yeah. Get that, um, get that 10 percent off but one of the one of the things i want to mention at a very high level is home warranty that could be a way to help in the event that you have some kind of um, repair to be addressed or an emergency fund a repair emergency fund oh, yeah and and just um, putting away some money in this fund in the event that you have some repairs to be done that will cost quite a bit. I've learned that even though you have a warranty program, you still need to have a repair fund because the warranty program may not cover the entire the entire cost. Yeah, they'll 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 fix your uh they'll replace your HVAC or they'll replace your fridge or whatever, but you know, hey, oh, there's a new code that you know, we got to move, you know, we can't have we got to be metal instead of wood, so you know, it's got to, you know, so they eventually get their money. They figure out a way to get their money. And, and you know, I also think that this this speaks to an important topic that, that we refer to as the true cost of home ownership. Sure. And what I mean by that is that, you know, if, if the lender tells you that you qualify for a $300,000 loan, yeah. I would seriously consider whether it would be financially prudent for you to purchase a home for $300,000. And, you know, Maxine mentioned an emergency reserve. 
If you were to purchase, as opposed to a $300,000 home, you were to purchase a $275,000 home, now you have a little bit of, of cushion. You could get yeah. that emergency fund established. Then, if you don't have a warranty, uh, which is essentially a service contract, or if for some reason that warranty company doesn't cover that that repair, you're able to go to your emergency reserve rather than having to pull out a credit card that could be at well likely at exceedingly high yeah. high interest rates. Perfect, perfect. One thing I noticed when uh, after buying my home after the first year is my mortgage went up, my because my taxes went up. Um. Can you explain that process that even though you get a fixed rate, sometimes your mortgage may go up in certain instances after year after year? Certainly. So when you um, purchase the home, an escrow account is established. Yeah. The escrow account uh, holds funds to pay the taxes when it comes due, um, the property taxes and your um hazard insurance and those are paid either semi-annually for the taxes or annually as in the case of the hazard insurance and that's no. not the only thing in the escrow the escrow also says you know sends money to the lender it sends money to the taxes it's where you basically whatever you pay that's the escrow account correct so what you pay um in your monthly payment and you're making it to the servicer the servicer is who you send your make your payment to each month so that payment that you make, it consists of the principal, interest, and then the escrow amount that's collected. Taxes. Taxes and insurance. Gotcha. And so um, the taxes gets paid to the taxing authority. The insurance, generally, you're the, the veteran buyer selects the insurance company. You shop around sure. and determine and, and select the insurance company. Now, depends if your value goes up, then they may determine that you're underinsured and so your hazard insurance policy may go up. Hence, your mortgage payment goes up. But if you have a fixed rate insurance, I mean, a fixed rate mortgage, yeah. that portion does not change. What may change is the, the insurance and the property taxes if that goes up. Gotcha. Anything to add to that, Mark? No, very well said. That's that's it. <laughs> Got you. And of note, I've never seen it go down. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, another thing I've I've seen since I've since I've been a homeowner are these emails that I get about refinancing. Um, what should I look forward? And, and you know, are, are these good deals? Or what, what? What are these? You know, I don't know where these get. I don't even know some of these. These you know, supposed lenders are coming from. I don't know who they are or what they what they want. But mm -hmm. it sounds like they want they they always want to cut me a check. Is what they're trying to tell me. No, and that that that's a, a really good question, and it, it's very timely um, in in today's market. You know, the the mortgage industry. Um, is awfully competitive. Yeah. And as you likely know, when, when you close on a house, uh, a lot of the details surrounding that transaction become public record. And there are companies out there that are hired by lenders 
to comb through the the county records, the registrar's office, wherever the the data is located, and there is a seasoning requirement on on VA loans. Uh, for example, the lenders need to wait you know, six months before you can refinance your loan. Okay. And um, I know my, myself uh, as a veteran, I, I, I get, you know, 25% of the mail that is, is put in my mailbox are uh, offers to refinance. And when I just, when I look at the, the big print and ignore the fine print, uh, it looks too good to be true. It's a great and, deal. And I got to tell you, it's it's that old saying that we've heard ever since we were little kids. You know, anything that looks too good to be true probably is too good to be true. And what I would strongly recommend that somebody, the action that they take prior to, to contacting one of these uh responding to one of the solicitations is to first figure out what they want, what you want to do. What are, what are you going to be doing? What are your plans for the, the next five, six, seven years? And then if you're, if you're confused by it, but you're tempted to, to do it, contact the regional loan center and get some get some guidance from the the loan specialists in the regional loan centers because we uh we have we believe a fiduciary responsibility to help protect the the veterans and you know we have had some itch we have had some issues in in the past with what we refer to as serial refinancing and you know, a veteran could purchase, make an initial purchase on, on their home and say, for example, owe $250,000. And unfortunately, they end up using that home as a, an ATM and um, they, they see offers to refinance. They, they, they're, they're chasing the interest rate as opposed to chasing the true cost of what that is going to be. And you could go through five different refinances and five years after your close, your balance is, is higher, higher than it was when you initially purchased that loan. What do you, what are you getting out of the, uh, you know, the, Obviously, they want to cut. They're saying they're going to cut you a check. What, what is that? Where's that money coming from? Is it? It's coming out of the equity of your house, right? Is that what that, that is? There, right. There, there are two different vehicles to refinance. In other words, VA has two different refinancing vehicles. One is referred to as a VA interest rate reduction refinance loan. The acronym is is EARL. And in the industry, that's commonly referred to as a streamline. And so you're not taking cash out. You're, what you're doing is you're reducing your, your interest rate, reducing your, your monthly payments. Yeah. But the ones where you're talking about, and I get those as well, and they actually send you the check in the mail, right? Yeah. Yeah, that absolutely is taking equity out of your your home nobody nobody nobody's going to give you that money for free right <laughs> very well 
Um, and we can get into refinancing in a, in a different episode if there's if there's a if there's a draw for it, uh, you know, and, mm-hmm. and let us know at podcast.va.gov uh, if that's something that you, you as a listener to be interested in, interested in. Just shoot me an email and say, hey, really like to know about refinancing because I, I, I'm assuming there are good times to refinance. And there's absolutely. But, yeah. But but, but uh, that's that, I think that would be a, a different episode because I'm sure that's there's so many different things to go into that. There are like there reasons a, to refinance. Yeah. It could be some kind of a major, you know, repair that you want to do or could be paying off some expenses or something like that. So reducing that debt, debt to income ratio and all that stuff. So. All right. So um, Maxine, Mark, I'm going to give you each. One minute, five minutes, three minutes, however many minutes you guys want. Is there anything else that you would like to add that I haven't asked that you think it's important to share to the listeners? So the the APR, annual percentage rate, is your interest rate plus the other costs of the loan. So when you're shopping or looking at the information provided by different lenders, You want to ask the lender for a loan estimate. This will provide the breakdown of all the fees that they're going to charge. In your APR. And that will be included in the APR. So again, the APR is the rate, the interest rate, plus the cost of the loan, all the other fees. So even if your rate's like, they're telling you, oh, your rate's like only three and a quarter, your APR could be a little bit different. It would be... The APR will be higher because it takes into account all the other fees. Noted. Noted. Very good. So there used to be something called the HUD-1. Well, that doesn't exist anymore. It's called a loan estimate. And and, and the way to compare, you know, lender, one lender to another lender is you ask them for a loan estimate. And so what... They're going to, in order for them to give you a loan estimate, they're going to require like six pieces of of information. They're going to want your your name, your social, so they could pull pull credit, um, your income, the the property address, um, and a couple other pieces of information. But then they will provide you the loan estimate. Now, it's not... really a pre-approval letter because they're basing the income off of what you tell them. Yeah. Right. So, but it gives you an idea that you're, well, it gives you the ability to compare apples to apples. A couple of things that I would like to add. One is that I think it's important to let the audience know in a nutshell, what the mission of the loan guarantee service is. And that is to help veterans obtain, retain, and for the seriously disabled, adapt their homes. So going back to the benefits, you know, we we talked about no down payment. Um, We we talked about negotiable interest rates. But one benefit that um, is not really thought of until it's really needed is that VA provides assistance to 
veterans working through the servicers for veterans that experience a temporary period of financial difficulty. And that gets to the retain portion. Remember, it's obtain, retain. In yeah. other words, keep the veterans in the home and adapt to the homes for the seriously disabled. So there are mechanisms in place to help veterans retain their homes. And I guess the other um, point that I would like to hammer home is the need to to educate yourself on the home buying process. And I would just like to to throw out um, uh, one website and it'll be Absolutely. easy, easy for the, the audience to remember. And it is um, for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Um, and that's a federal bureau. Okay. And you could get to their site by just going into CFPB, Charlie Foxtrot Papa Bravo, dot gov. And once you're there, they, they have a, a search engine that you'll see it. Everybody here is very familiar with it. And there are two different locations that I would like you to go to or two different um, fields to type in the search. One is one is understanding the mortgage process. So again, understanding the mortgage process. And there you will find a link for the home loan toolkit. And the other is three tools to help your home buying process. And, and I tell you, there is just a wealth of information on that site. So again, it is cfpb.gov and the two different things to type into that search are understanding the mortgage process and two, three tools to help your home buying process. Very good, very good. Um, just like to add that there's no prepayment penalty if one should pay off their VA home loan early, there's no prepayment um, penalty. It's a benefit that one has earned in service to their nation. So if one is in the home buying process and you're, please mention to the lender that you're a veteran um, or service member. And by saying that, the lender should consider the VA home loan program as an option oh, absolutely. for for the veteran. So just in case they're trying to take you in another direction, you know, just ask the lender, hey, I served. Um, am I eligible for this benefit? Let's explore that before we go in another direction, because it's absolutely an awesome benefit. I've used it multiple times and um, I am very grateful for this benefit. two years ago to buy our home with zero money down. I was amazed that there was so much in place to really help the veterans and the VA serves as that catalyst for all those resources. Choose VA today. Visit VA.gov. So that was a long episode, but man, I did my best to use my own experience to draw questions that I hopefully thought everyone could benefit from. If I missed any, if, if there's something that I missed, Maxine and Mark referenced the Regional Loan Center many times during that interview. And you can reach your local regional loan center 
at 1-877-827-3702, and it will forward you to your regional loan center. And they should be able to handle any follow-on questions that you may have. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is Army veteran Arthur Lorelli. Arthur served from 1943 to 1972 during World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. He enlisted in the Army in 1943 from his home state of Pennsylvania and then completed basic training at Fort Benning, Georgia. After basic training, he completed parachute training and was sent to an airborne division during World War II, serving in New Guinea and other places in the Pacific. Later, Lorelli served in the Korean War as a tank gunner, so he went from airborne to being a tank gunner. He recalls being on the front lines during the Korean War. One time, his tank was pinned down, and every time they would move, they would be pushed back. He also remembers the enemy often showing up in hordes with no rifles, just sticks. They yelled and screamed to scare the American soldiers. Lorelli hated the cold weather and wished he would get home to escape it. Years later, at the end of his career, Lorelli served in the Vietnam War. He retired from the Army in 1972. He was active in the VFW and often attended reunions. Sadly, Arthur Lorelli died in 2012. We honor his service. That's it for this week's episode. For more benefit breakdowns, more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can always follow us with that blue check mark. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.